Okay, happy Easter again, everybody. You all look wonderful. Yeah. Good day? All right. Let's do something different. Uh, we don't always do. Actually, we never do this, but it's Easter, so let's do something new. Uh, let's stand this morning, and I'm going to read this scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, which is all about the significance of the resurrection to you personally. So let's, 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 let's do that. 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what the Bible says. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Now, I'm not going to stop every moment throughout this text here so that you're not standing forever, but I do need to stop on that one right there. The Bible is filled with important things. Would you agree? The Bible is filled with important things. But, but the Bible says right here, I'm getting ready to tell you something that is of first importance. Like, this is really, really important. This should impact our lives like nothing else. The resurrection changed everything. All right, so what goes on to say? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day. Third day. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Listen to this next part. With what kind of body will they come? The body that has been sown perishable will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It'll be raised in glory. Your body will be raised. Anybody excited about having a a glorified body? Anybody excited about having a body better than, you know? Yeah. I don't want to belabor this point, but I was at the gym uh, some time ago, and I was in the locker room, and there was a guy, and right before he walked out to do his workout, he looked at the mirror, and he kind of did, you know, he did his pose, you know what I'm saying? Did his pose. And he didn't, see, he didn't know I was watching him, okay? And then he walked away, and then it hit him, and he stopped and went back. He looked so good, he had, just had to have one more. He, he just had to have one more look. He had to have one more look. Okay. It is sown in weakness. It's going to be raised how? Power. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that was written will come true. What saying is that? Death, death has been swallowed up in victory. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Awesome. All right, so the the chief creative officer at one of the world's top design firms in San Francisco, California, believes that it is time to redesign death, that death has become far too ugly and far too hopeless, and it's time to redesign it. So you could sit, this is, this is the image that is on their site, death, but clouds and bright lights, and he says, you know, there's an inelegance about, about death. That is completely unacceptable to me. So, so they're going to take on the task of redesigning death. So I want to ask you, is that the way to go? Right. Do we just need to redesign it? 
so that it's more palatable to us, so it's more acceptable to us. Or we could do that, or we could do this. How about this? Time Magazine a few weeks ago came out with this. See this? This baby could live to be 142 years old. So what they're doing, you read in the, in the article, is they're giving mice a promising new drug, and it's adding 1.77 years to the lifespan of a mouse. So if we live 80 years and you 1.77 to yourself, that's 142 approximately. Now, you know what the problem is with that? If you put off death, have you ever talked to somebody who's like 80 plus, 90 plus years old? And you say to them, right? I've done this. And you say to them, hey, would you like to live to 142? Right? You know what they say back? No way, no way, no way. Did you see this past week? The oldest person in the world died. She was 117 in Japan. Anybody see that story? Huh? You see that story? She died? Okay. Um, I was going to show you the picture of her, but I decided not to, all right? Because it doesn't look that great. I saw a video that they're doing with her, like the big celebration, and they're giving her this certificate from the Guinness World Book of Records, and there's a guy in the video who walks up to her, and he like gets right in her ear, like ears right here, and he, you could tell, he's speaking Japanese, I don't know what he said, but you could tell he's really, and she doesn't even flinch. You know why? She can't hear. She can't hear. That's why. And when you talk to people who are 80 plus, 90 plus years, like, oh man, no, I don't want to, I don't want to live all those years. All, think about all the death they're going to see and all the problems and all the aches and all the pains. I can't get up. I can't see. I can't hear. I'm hurting all over. I don't want that. When's the last time you hung out with people in their 80s and 90s? When's the last time you did? You know who their best friends are? Doctors and pharmacists, right? <laughs> so I hang out with my in-laws. I hang out with my in-laws, which I love to do right? I love to hang out with my in-laws. They don't go to one doctor's appointment a day. They'll have three a day in mounds and mounds of pills all over the house. They can't even keep all the pills straight. They are such good friends with the people down at the CVS pharmacy at Lion Village, right? That they're, they're like their best friends. I went down there to pick up a prescription from my father-in-law. Some of you know Big Russ because he's famous. He used to be at our front door all the time. Big Russ. And I go down there and I said, I'm picking up for Russ Sims. And like, there's like six people working behind the counter because it's a huge place. And every head comes up and they're all smiling. And one young lady, she comes running to the counter to me and she's, Father Russell, Father Russell, how's Father Russell doing? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the man spends so much time down here. He's fathered a whole nother family. We don't even know about it. He has a family at the CVS pharmacy because he lives his life down there. Is that how you want to live? Should we redesign? Should we redesign death? Should we put it off? Is that the way to go? I gotta, okay. There's a different way. There's another way. How did the Easter season really start, right? How did, it, how, did, how did it all begin? It began with something. It's on a Wednesday. Does anybody know the name for it? It was what? Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. I have ashes right here. Okay? What's Ash Wednesday really all about, right? We say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right there. It's not redesigned. It looks kind of big and blotch ugly doesn't it? And we're not hiding it. It's front and center. It's right out there. It reminds us of what? Our mortality. The Bible says face it head on. Face your mortality. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to put it off. Face straight up to it front and center. Why? Why do we do that? Because God wants us to know this. This is very important. God wants to know this. There is more to this life and if we become comfortable with this life, complacent with life, that, you know, this is all there is. I got to get all I can get right now because this is really the good stuff. And if, if I go and spend all of eternity with Jesus, I'm still going to be disappointed because I missed out on so much there is in life. And then we get complacent and we think, 
oh man, I, this is all there is. And God doesn't want us to become that way. He wants us to remind us of our death. When we were trying to potty train our kids, one of our kids, which I will go nameless, which one actually did this, uh, they had an accident one day, okay? They had an accident one day. And I went to them, they were sitting in our minivan, and I went to them and said, now doesn't that feel terrible? Isn't that disgusting? Don't you hate that? And they looked at me and said, no, it feels nice and creamy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... What God is saying to us is, don't get comfortable with this world face up today. And so we put it right on. That's what the church does. Right, not redesign, not put off right there, front and center, mortality. There's a church in our neighborhood that advertised an ashes and dashes service. Yes, you didn't even have to come into the building. You pull into the parking lot, they put it right there. Boom, psh, right on the forehead. We're going to remind you of death. There's another church I thought this was good. They said, advertise this way, get your ashes to church. Get your ashes <laughs> Mortality, right there, front and center in our lives. So death is swallowed up in victory, which is really what I want to talk about this morning because I've heard that for years. What does that mean? I never really pondered on it enough. I never prayed on it enough. It's a crescendo to 1 Corinthians 15, which is all about the significance of the resurrection in your life. It, like, it changed their world. It changed their world. Is it changing my world? I'd ask myself, it's not changing my world. Why? What don't I understand, God? And so I begin to pray and pray. Yeah, I'm thinking that most people here this morning, you know that Jesus rose from the dead, the tomb was empty. Okay, we've heard that story. What is it I'm not seeing? What is it that's going to change my life? What is it that I need to see? Death is swallowed up in victory. So what does death represent in the Bible? It's very important. What does death represent in the Bible? The Bible says death is our enemy. We're told that sin and death go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly. The wages of sin is death. We're told that sin gives birth to death. And death doesn't just, everybody, this is important, just doesn't represent your heart that stops beating. There's more to it than that. God says, if you sin against me in the garden, you will die. Well, they, they died. They didn't die immediately, but they did die immediately. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, things got far less than best. All of a sudden, paradise became far less than paradise. And so death represents a lot of things to us. It represents a life far less than what you had always wanted. It represents that on a global level. It represents a terrorist attack in Kenya, but it also represents on an individual level harsh words spoken by a family member, or a trusted friend that stabs you in the heart. I'd like to talk about this for just a moment, death. I've got some death balls here, okay? These are some death balls. What's your deepest wound? I know you don't want to think about it, but it tends to keep coming back up, doesn't it? What's your deepest wound? That's a death. It's a death. What's your greatest regret? Your greatest regret is a death. It's far less than what you had hoped for and God had hoped for you. What is your most profound disappointment in life? That's a death. Uh, maybe you've lost love. Maybe you had love and it fell apart. Maybe you're married and that marriage has fallen apart or is in the process of falling apart. That's a death. Maybe you'd hoped to be married at this point in your life, and you're not. That's a death. Maybe you'd hope to have 
kids by now. And you don't, and you realize it's probably never going to happen. It's a death. I mean, you've lost money. Bad decision, whatever. Somebody's bad decision, it's a death. A wound from your parent or your grandparent. A physical problem, either that you have or somebody that you love has. It's like a death. All of these things are death. Our lost dreams, they're death. And it just keeps piling up far less far less than the life that we had hoped for. All of that is represented in death. I want to read a passage to you that's extremely important. It's in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. I just want you to consider what it's saying here because it just shifts our paradigm. It breaks our paradigm, actually, about God and about life and about eternity. Revelation 21. And I heard... A loud voice from the throne saying, look, exclamation point, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people. Take special note of that. Where is God? Is it, is it man's dwelling place is now with God? No, it's God's dwelling place is now down here with the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will do what? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. What's passed away? The old way of doing things. The old order of doing things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, Jesus Christ, said, I am making everything new. What is he making new? He's making some things new. He's making some things new for you. No, no, he's making everything new for you. And then he said this, just in case you're wondering, is that true for you? Is that what the resurrection means to you? He's saying, then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Okay, here's the question. Who is pursuing who? Who is pursuing who? So many times the Bible is referred to as, the Bible is referred to as man's search for God. People talk about religion that way. People talk about the Bible that way. It's very popular. I've heard it all my life. The Bible... The Bible is man's search for God, and that's completely false, completely false. It's the polar opposite. Right from the very first stories that we read in the Bible, you see people, men, men and women, running from God, not searching for God, running from God. And God's saying, hello, Adam and Eve, here I come, searching for you. Abraham, I'm searching for you. Rahab, Mary, I'm searching for you. Who's searching for who? God is searching for us, not the other way around. He's searching for us. And when this was written, ancient temples were places, everybody, some of them, where people would go and they would think about, I'm going to escape this life and I'm going to get away from all its problems and I'm going to go up to where God is and I'm going to search where God is. And actually the temple, the Jewish temple was a place where God came down and was amongst his people and got a foothold in the world and searched us out. If you're here this morning and you're searching for God, it's not because you started the search according to God. It's because he's been searching for you and you're responding to that search. And why is he doing that? He's doing that because he wants to make all things new for you. He's doing that because he wants to give you a life better than what you could have ever imagined. There's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20 that says these words are very, very important, very important, especially this morning. God wants to do more than we could ask or imagine. Remember that. God wants to do more in your life 
than what you can ask or imagine. He is pursuing you. He is pursuing you to do something great in your life, to do something new, to give you a new life. Our lives are kind of like the NFL draft, aren't they? Anybody watch the NFL draft? You're on the clock. You're on the clock, aren't you? And life is running out. Things are slipping through your hands. You've got to get all you can get right now because if you don't get it right now, you're going to miss out. And you know what happens when we live life that way? We live life, you know, I got to get it now. I get all I can out of life because once I'm gone and people, people who are followers of Jesus like, oh yeah, I got you. Oh, yeah, Jesus, great. I got Jesus in my life. But you know what? I'm going to go into eternity disappointed. Because I missed out on so much, because my dreams never came true, because I never got married, and I never got healed, and I never had a great marriage, and I never had this, and I never had that, and I go into all of eternity. Is that what Jesus Christ is offering us? Is he offering us an eternity filled with disappointments, but an eternity with him? Is really that what he's, or, or, or are we seeing far less than what he's actually saying to us? Are we seeing far less? Is he saying more? Because he seems to be saying more. There's more what you can ask or imagine. I'm going to swallow up your death, all the things that disappoint you, everything you think is wrong with this world. I'm going to swallow all that up in victory. Swallow up in victory. You thought, you know what? I should be married by now. I should have owned that house by now. I should be out of debt by now. I should have been healed by now. All those things that just haunt us and hurt us cause us problems. All those regrets, all those disappointments that we experience in life. There is something about life that is so irretrievable. Life marches on. We're on the clock. We're like, ah, I got to stop it. I got to get all that I can get. There's a time in my life when I was a kid and my parents had a house on a beach in Florida and every summer we went there and I just surfed for so many hours on that beach and it was awesome. It was glorious. Those were great days. And then when I was in college, I played on the basketball team, and every homecoming, same thing happened. The alumni came in, and by three or four of them got in our faces. They yelled, they screamed, they pointed at us, they said, take advantage of this time. If you don't give 100%, you're going to regret it. And we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We got all the time in the world. And then we had babies. We had babies. And the babies wouldn't sleep particularly one of them, never slept. And we went around like zombies. And they threw up on us. And we had to clean up dirty diaper after dirty diaper after dirty diaper. And people said to us, love these times. You're going to be so sad when they're gone. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Crazy, man. I'll never go back to those days in surfing. You know why? Because now, today, New Smyrna Beach, where I surfed, is the shark attack capital of the world. Even if I wanted to stand up on a surfboard, I couldn't stand up anymore. Those days are gone, right? And you know what? Those guys in college, they were right. They were right. I miss it. And you know about my kids and the dirty diapers? All the dirty diapers and all the vomit and all the sleepless nights. Oh, man, I would go. There's something that just hurts my heart that it's gone. What about you? What is irretrievable to you that kind of crushes you? It's moved on. Something very crushing. Let's read this piece here. Edgar Allan Poe. See if you recognize it. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. Poe was kind of dark. 
While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Who was it, everybody? Who was at that door? Come on, come on. Who's say? I can't hear you. The raven. Oh, well, you put it up. Okay, there, gave it away. The raven. The raven. Now, what did the raven say? Over and over, nevermore, nevermore. Do you feel that way? Are you on a clock? Is time running out? Nevermore? For some of you, you feel like you've already passed it by, and you'll never get it back, can't be retrieved. Others of you, you're in the middle of it. You know, I want to say something to some of you. Some of you say, you know what? My life is awesome. My life is awesome. Okay? And I think it's great. And be positive. And I don't want to be... I don't want to be a downer this morning. I don't want nothing like that. But I need to tell you something. Your life stinks. Your life stinks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yes. Right here. Mortality on the, your life stinks. You feel good about your body. You feel good about your life. Just wait. It's going to end. Uh-huh. It's going to end. It's going to end. And you know what? You know what, everybody? How could we say my life is great when the world around us, which we're told about all the time, is in so much suffering and pain? How can we be okay when kids are dying of all kinds of diseases early in life and there's a terror attack in Kenya and people are being trafficked right in this own city? People are being abused and suffering. You'd have to be extremely callous to turn all that off and say, oh, yeah, life's great. Because that should touch your heart. That should affect you. There's a heaviness and a suffering about life. And so you've got to say, I can't be complacent and happy with this life because this life is not what God intended it to be. This life is not what it intended to be. And even in the midst of glory, even in the midst when things are awesome and you're at the top of the mountain, like it can't get any better in this, there's a dark shadow that hangs over us, isn't there? A couple months ago, I guess it was October, I took a missions trip. A missions trip, right? This is where you go and you really rough it. This is where you go and you really sacrifice. And we went down to Guatemala, and boy, we sacrificed and we roughed it. And there was about 30 pastors, about 30 pastors. We were down in Guatemala with Compassion International. And Compassion flies a lot of people all over the world. So on the trip back from Guatemala, because they fly so much, they got all those frequent flyer miles. You know what happened to me? I got bumped to first class. Yes. And it was awesome. Loved it. It was, it was, it was fabulous. And so I had to sit down first and then here comes everybody, all those pastors parading by me, heading back to where the cattle are, right? Heading back to the, right? And I remember this one pastor, he's from Minnesota. He's a great guy. And he walked by and he just kind of looked down just a little bit of his eye. And he just said, I hate you. <laughs> and I said, ah, I love me, right? This, this is great. But halfway through that flight with flight attendants at my beck and call, serving me up steak and potatoes as I sat there in first class, a dark cloud came over top of me and I realized what? This will never happen to me again. This will never happen to me again. I'll never experience this again. Do you know what I'm saying? Even in the midst of your height, you know that you can't hold on to it. It's slipping by. It's all decaying. It's all going away. It's all going away. Even in the midst of the height when everything is great. But you know what? The Bible says this, the focus of the day. Death is swallowed up in victory. And everybody, what exactly does that mean that death is swallowed up for victory? I want to say this to you. Ready? Listen very closely. Jesus is not saying to us with all of our death and all of our disappointment, he's not saying, okay, I know that you've suffered. I know life didn't turn out as you wanted it to. 
I know you didn't have the marriage you wanted to have. I know that you never got married and you're very disappointed about that and your dreams didn't come true or you never had kids or you never had health. Or maybe your parents mistreated you very badly and that's wounded you your entire life. But you know what? You have me. For all of eternity, you have me and it's okay. It's all right. It's okay. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is he consoling us for all of eternity? It's okay, child. You got me. I know it's been a disaster. You got me. Is he consoling us? Is that what it means that there's more than I could ask or imagine? Is that what it means when it says that death has been swallowed up in victory? I was reading uh, recently, and there's a famous Bible scholar. His last name is Lenski. He's also an expert in Greek, and he's looking at this verse, and he says, you know what? You know what is being described here? There's a tornado. Life is like a tornado, and it's caused tremendous destruction in many homes. I would say it's caused destruction in every single home. Jesus is not saying, okay, everybody, I know there's destruction everywhere. Come on out. The tornado is gone. You're with me for eternity. I know there's destruction everywhere, but come on out. It's okay. Some of us think that way this morning. I mean, you know what? I'm not really looking forward to eternity. It's good. I'm glad I get eternity with Jesus. But you know what? I got some really deep disappointments. I never got the life I was looking forward to, so there's a cloud hanging over me in eternity. And you know what Lenski says? He says, it's not what's happening. Jesus is not saying the tornado is gone, so just relax. What he's saying is, is everything that represents death in your life and death in this world is far less than what God intended it to be and what Jesus Christ is doing when he swallows up death in victory is he is undoing all the death in your life and all the death in this world. He is actually giving you, as Tim Keller says, the life that you always wanted and that you will not miss out on anything. Some of us here, many of us here, I can tell you from me, this is the way I live my life. I live my life making bad decisions because I have a dark cloud hovering over top of me and I'm saying, you know what, I'm missing out. I got to get it now. I got to get it now. And God says, no, you don't. I'm going to give you the life that you always wanted. You're not going to miss out on anything. And those things that have wounded you and hurt you and disappointed you and regrets and you wanted this certain life, he said, I'm going to give that to you. That's what it means to have death swallowed up in victory. What did you want for your life? God wants that for you and so much more. God wants that for you and so much more. And our minds need to be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit and realize that we're not going to spend eternity with Jesus consoling us in the midst of our disappointments forever saying, I wish, I, I wish, I should have, could have, would, I wish. I wish it's okay you have me. He's not doing that. He's not saying, no, I'm going to take death. Here's death, and I'm just going to put it way over there. Watch this death ball coming. Death ball coming. (laughs) Put way over there. See if they do better on that side. Ooh, all right. Is that what Jesus is saying? He's going to say, we're just going to make death go way over there. We're going to make death go way over there. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, is when something is swallowed up, it disappears, and all the evidence is gone. It's gone. It's gone. Death disappears with no evidence. Okay, your home has been destroyed by the tornado, right? You think you're going to live all of eternity with the home destroyed by the tornado? No, the evidence of the destruction is gone and it's undone. That's pretty cool to think about. And it's swallowed up in victory. Come on out of there, death. There we go. It's all gone. That's pretty cool. 
Isn't there a life that you wanted to live? This is what Jesus is saying for us. We're not going to live all of eternity with the disappointment hanging over our head. No, he's saying he is going to give us the life we always wanted, and we will not miss out on anything, everybody. That is really cool. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I just want to say something to you. You should. You should. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, i got to say something to you. You should. You should, because that's pretty awesome, that God is going to give us the life we always wanted, and he's going to undo all of that death and all of that destruction through faith in Jesus Christ. There's more for you. And many of us are living with far less than what he really wants for us, and we need to have our minds open to the more that Jesus is actually offering. Do you think... That Jesus is just offering you an opportunity to live forever? Is that it? No. No. Maybe we can give you a drug and make you live forever. Will that do it? No. There's far more. There's far more. Well, music team's going to come up and we're going to sing a special song here in conclusion. And I'm going to read you one other scripture verse that I think is really important uh, to this morning. It's in Luke 24. Jesus is talking to uh, his disciples, right? So his disciples are all despondent. Uh, he's been crucified, and they're just coming to grips with the fact that he's been raised from the dead, and they're trying to understand that, and there's hopelessness, and there's darkness, and there's despair, and there's all these things going on. And then he does something in Luke 24, something that I think that God wants to do for all of us here this morning. It's pretty powerful. Luke 24 says, Then he opened their minds. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Do you live with tremendous hope? Do you, do you live in a certain way you think, I gotta, I, I'm, I'm missing out, i got to get all I can now because if our minds were really opened up to what Jesus has actually done, we would stop living that way. I think about all the mistakes that I've made, all the poor decisions I've made in my life because I live as if I'm missing out on something. Think about all the goofy things that I've done because, you know, i got to get it all right now. How about you? You make decisions about your life with that hanging over your head? You make career decisions, life decisions, financial decisions, sexual decisions, romantic decisions. I got I mean, if I don't get it now, I'm never going to get it, so I better get it. God wants to alleviate us from that pain that we inflict on ourselves because our minds haven't been opened up to the truth that there's so much more. So he opens their minds and he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer, right? Remember guys, the Messiah was going to suffer. I'm the Messiah, I was going to suffer and will rise from the dead. And then he mentions this phrase that is often repeated. Actually, it's repeated 11 times in the four biographies of Jesus. Ever been around somebody that keeps repeating themselves? Jesus Make sure that he keeps repeating himself for a reason. On the third day. Can you say third day with me? On the third day. Why? 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 Why over and over the third day? Why the broken record from God about this third day? Well, Friday. This past Friday. Good Friday, right? Good Friday was a day of what? Tremendous pain. The most brutal way to die. Jesus died. Tremendous pain. Tremendous hurt. Every single one of us here this morning have experienced tremendous pain and hurt. Friday is a day of darkness. And then there's Sunday. Sunday's resurrection day. Sunday's celebration day. Sunday's when God comes down and it's light and it's hope. 
And some of us have had glimpses of that, haven't we? Glimpses. We can't experience to its fullness, but we've had glimpses of that. What happens on Saturday? In the scriptures, as you read the biography of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what is going on on Saturday? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. We're told nothing about Saturday. And many of us are living in the nothingness. Your life is a three-day story. Your life is a three-day story. You experience darkness on Friday. You experience the nothingness of Saturday and every now and then you experience the glory of Sunday. But you'll never experience all of its full glory until a future, future time. Your life is a three-day story. Here's the thing I want you to know. The reason we're told this over and over again about three-day stories, God wants you to know this isn't false hope. You're not believing in something. Oh, I hope that all of my death is undone. No, God wants you to know it will be undone. And that's why Revelation 21 says, my words, write them down. They're trustworthy and true. I'm coming for you on the third day. There's going to be more for you on the third day. Through faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, there's a third day coming. Abraham's son, Isaac, was spared on the third day. Joseph's brothers were in prison. And we're told that on the third day they were set free. Rahab tells the spies from Israel, you will be safe on the third day. You see a pattern happening there? All the way from Genesis to Revelation. We're told that Esther received a miracle on the, what day? Third day. Third day. Jesus performs his first miracle, John chapter 2. And what day did it happen on? Want to take a guess? third day. Jesus performs his last miracle on earth. And take a guess what day it happened on. It happened on the third day. God wants you to know that your third day is coming. Some of you are in a first day and a second day, and you've had glimpses of a third day. But God wants you to know this is false hope. Your third day is coming. Through faith in Jesus Christ, there's more. God wants to do way beyond what you can ask or imagine. And he wants to open our minds to that so we don't live this life with that cloud hanging over us. I'm missing out. God says, you're not going to miss out on anything. I want to do something in your life forever and always that goes beyond what you can think, ask, or imagine. And that message is for some of you specifically here this morning that God doesn't want you to live that way anymore. He wants to lift that cloud from over your head and open your mind to the scripture. So we're going to close by singing this song. I want to ask if you would stand with me, if you could do that. When we sing this final song, we want you to know, even while the music's playing and we're singing, God wants to meet some of you. He wants to meet some of you right in your seats. He wants to meet some of you over here at our prayer wall. There are those here in this congregation that God, today's your day. Today's your day that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you about that. I'm going to be right over here. We're going to meet you right over and pray about that. Open your heart to the more that God has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you that you have so much more for us. And there are those here right now that, God, we're living with far less. And, God, I just ask through the power of your spirit at work in this room that you would open our minds to the more that there is in Jesus Christ and we'd stop living like we're missing out on everything. We'd stop living that way in fear, God, but we would know that you have a future for us that is way beyond what we could ask, think, or imagine. And we thank you for your gracious love for every one of us. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.